Here we go. It's Monday night. Once again, time for Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and Ira, unfortunately, not in the studio with me, but he's having a good time right now. Ira, tell everyone where you're at. <laughs> well, I'm in the Hamptons. Uh, I think every professional athlete who's not in playing football right now is probably a baseball, baseball, and basketball and hockey players. You just walk around the Hamptons and you see them walking around. So it's uh, it's fun to be here in the Hamptons this time of year, uh, just for, for just a couple more days. So it's been awesome. Yeah, the, uh, not many sporting events you've been able to take in. I know you were trying to get to Yankees Mets. That didn't work out. You've had some some bad luck with flights lately. Oh yeah, the Yankees Mets. I circled. They circled around uh, Westchester Airport for an hour, and then they said we're running out of gas, and we had to divert as a make an emergency landing in Syracuse. I don't think I've ever been to Syracuse, but I didn't go to <laughs> any basketball or football games there. You know, it's weird to go to a town where I don't go to a sporting event, and we just sat on the tarmac in the airport. They're so small that they said. Um, they go, oh, well, when they're back from dinner, they'll go gas their plane up. So we had to wait for everybody to be gas, you know, back from dinner to go gas our plane. So that was about two hours there. And they like the Westchester. We didn't land the Westchester until, I would say, the third or fourth inning of Yankees match. So I missed that, uh, the Verlander game. That so was pretty bad. Pretty uh, speaking of New York, we're going to have an excellent writer from the New York Post on. Mike Vaccaro is going to join us about 7.15. Yeah, I love reading Mike's columns in the New York Post. He's Always funny, always tells, you know, it's always humorous and, and the light side of sports, but he definitely covers the Giants, Jets, Yankees, Mets, everything in New York. And uh, right now, New York is definitely in the spotlight in terms of with two football teams. Now, with the Jets and the, you know, and the teams and with the baseball teams, with the fact that they spent so much money. And... Are you there? Are you there? Can I can you, can't hear you. You there now? Yes, I'm here. Yes. Okay, lost you for a minute. Oh, it's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Follow Ira anywhere on social media, at Ira on Sports. You know, it's interesting talking about the New York Post. When you are when you are a New Yorker, you wake up every day waiting to see what the back of the New York Post is because they come up with hilarious captions, kind of mocking whoever the, the goat of New goat not in a good way, of New York sports from the previous day. It's always exciting uh, reading the Post. We'll have Mike Vaccaro here in about 10 minutes or so. Let's start with baseball, Ira. Anything you want to talk about standings-wise? Because we're still looking at, you know, teams like the Mets are four and a half games out of a wild card. Padres a little further back than that. And these are two teams we were anticipating, you know, could be meeting in the NLCS. Well, I think this is what people were talking about in terms of the, why the trade deadline maybe is not so exciting. There's really in each league about four teams that, are, that were out of it. And everybody else seems to like to think they have a chance. And we talked about last week is that when you look at the Phils last year, when you look at the Nationals a couple years ago, and the fact that you just get in the playoffs and you can win it, that everybody thinks that, and that's what baseball wanted. That's why they added the, the extra three wild cards and have the wild cards that happen like that. And I think that's the that's what we're we're seeing. In terms, and I, I could say, oh, this team. Look, you look at the divisions. You look at the 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 Dodgers. Look amazing. I mean, they're playing great. They're 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 fifty nine and forty five. They're two games up over the Giants. Of course, the Braves are running away with the whole National League, sixty seven and thirty six. Um, just, uh, just a great. I mean, the team's phenomenal this year, but you don't. Is the Braves could lose in the first round, and so could the Dodgers, which they have in the you know in the last couple of years. So everything can happen. And, and then I think in the in the American League, uh, the fact that the Orioles. I mean, what a surprise! The fact that they're a game and a half over the Rays, five and a half over Toronto. 
uh, eight over Boston and nine over the Yankees. I mean, Baltimore a couple years ago was like, you know, going to win 40, 50 games. And now all those young players have come to the forefront and play great. And then the Rangers, that's why the Rangers made the trade. The Rangers have been bad for a while. Now they're back. They have a plus 145 run differential. Um, and they're playing really well. So, and then you have, of course, the Astros. And I stay up late, and you stay up late, and you watch the Angels. And the fact that I love the fact that they didn't trade Otani. They're going forward. They made a lot of aggressive trades. Uh, so that, that's that aspect exciting. There's only really one team that was surprising that gave up, and we'll we'll talk about it in a second. Yeah, um, you know, speaking on the Angels. I think that everyone's going to look at this trade, Ira, and say, oh, Lucas Giolito, that this is who they needed. Ronaldo Lopez was a steal as well. He was a, a fantastic closer last year um, once they had some issues uh, with Liam Hendricks. This is another great bullpen guy. And then nobody's going to talk about C.J. Crone and Randall Grichuk from Colorado. These are both fine players. C.J. Crone is going back to the Angels. He'd been on them before. Randall Grichuk, though, not a commonly known name. He's hitting 308. And this is the kind of guy any team in the league would take him to play. He's just a good guy, goes out every day. And if your six or seven hitter is Randall Grichuk, you're doing well for yourself. So I like the moves that the Angels made. And to me, I don't know if it's enough to keep Otani. I don't think it's going to be. But this could be enough to get them in the playoffs and maybe make a move once they're there. Because when you do have a Shohei Otani and a Mike Trout who will be healthy by then, anything can happen, like we said. So I'm, I'm really high on these Angels moves. I, I, I'm confident about the Angels for a couple of reasons. First of all, you have a player that this week uh, in the same day game, and the first game had two home runs, and the second game pitched nine innings and gave up one hit. It's, <laughs> so the, it's the greatest single-day performance in baseball history. Right. And, and when I was there at the World Baseball Classic and saw how Tani, it's, it's baseball's the one sport where you could have the best player, you have the Barry Bonds, and it, you just, it's not an assurance of winning. It's hard for one player who comes out at bat nine times to make a difference. But Otani, with everything he does, and with the, with the pitching where he's, he controls the game that way and controls the game hitting, it is really the one, he's the one player that is, could make the difference. And we saw in the World Baseball Classic how he, and, his, and he, he is a motivator. He is somebody who the players rally around. They know how great he is. They, want, they, they, they try harder because he's playing so well. His greatness is, is feeding off everybody else. So it is so much fun. I, I wish people could, you know, if he's on MLB and you get it on your network or you, or you have the package or something or he's on a national game, it's hard to follow baseball this game in terms of where these games are going to be. But he's just so much fun to watch. Every at-bat is must-see. But every pitch is must-see, too, because he's, he's pitching great too this is well yeah this is the greatest baseball season we've ever seen from a player and uh i think that these i love the fact that the angels are going for it and they're they're they're, they're they didn't sell they weren't sellers i think you're going to make the playoffs and i think they're going to make a run and i'm sure baseball would love could you imagine the angels in the world series it'd be tremendous angels and dodgers in the world series or something like that would be great that would make travel for you easy ira <laughs> just hang out in la <laughs> for two weeks um tampa bay is a curious case to me they opened up with one of the best pay ever to start a Major League Baseball season. Since then, they've kind of been middling. This has been a 500 team since about middle of May. They made a move for Aaron Savale. I don't really love him, but, you know, they had to do something because they've been losing pitchers left and right. They lost two of their starting pitchers in Rasswood and, Rasswood and Springs. And I think when you're Tampa, but you're still with a payroll in the 40 million level. I mean, the fact that Tampa's being aggressive, Tampa's trying to get players in, and I think that the, it's just amazing there. Year in and year out, they're in the mix. But you're right. After the big start they had, if I said, boy, in August, they're going to be in second place, you're like, you're crazy. They yeah. won all these games in a row. 
Um, but they're but they're still in the mix, and, and the way they play, I mean, they definitely play postseason baseball with with uh, bullpen. Uh, the, you know, pitcher bulls and starting pitchers are you know they go each one two innings at a time. They mix and match hitters and outfielders. I mean, with all statistics and analytics, which really helps. I mean, they play literally. The one thing I give Tampa credit, and they get criticized for. But they play this way. People see in the regular in the postseason, they're like, oh, they, they pull their starters too early and they do this. That's what they do in the regular season. So they really go in the playoffs doing exactly what they are doing in the regular season. I think that helps them, and that's why they're trying to, you know, with a, such a payroll, you know, and then they have a, a Rosarino and Wander Franco and those things. So it makes it exciting. Max Scherzer, this is one of the most curious things I can recall in baseball. So the Mets trade the closer, uh, David Robertson, to the Marlins. Max Scherzer says, I demand a meeting with Steve Cohen. He was out of town 12 hours later. I think it was like 10 hours later they announced he was being moved to Texas. Kind of crazy, Ira. I, this meeting, I, I, truthfully, I, you know, people called and said, oh, you're all wrong about the bet. I go, I, I still can't believe what they did. I mean, if you're going to spend this much money, it, it, I don't get it. I, 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 feel like, I feel like someone said, well, you know, my Met fans are happy that Scherzer's gone. They think he stinks. And I'm like, the best he goes, he's the best of third, you know, he's like the third pitcher, you know, a third pitcher. And I said, uh, he's not your ace or your second, he's your third. But I said, well, are they, who is going to be the third next year? Like, I feel like they're making moves now that are going to hurt them. Even, even if they got rid of Robertson, we'll sign Robertson and put him in when you have Diaz come back next year. I mean, this does not seem like a team. I mean, you, have, you finally found a pitcher in Robertson that pitched great for you in City Field. And you know how difficult it is for players to play well in New York. They, they, some players just are not meant for this city at all. And you have a player like Robertson. Oh, you trade. And then you have a, and then you have Scherzer, who is, is he's not a big game pitcher. He's won World Series. He's clearly a big game pitcher. So last year he had a couple of bad games. But I just, I don't get this with the Mets. I think it's a bad move. I hope they don't trade Verlander for their sake. But I was shocked with the trade. And they're eating what twenty two million of the salary. So it's not even a true salary dump. Like if you're trying to save salary, I think it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. And. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. Yeah, they're, they're eating two-thirds of the salary. Like you said, this just, to me, doesn't set them up for next year at all. You know, I, I agree with you. Why don't you place some blame on guys like Starling Marte, who's been terrible? Jeff McNeil, his batting average is down 100 points. Francisco Lindor has never lived up to the hype. Put some blame on the bats, because the pitchers have been doing their job for the most part. Scherzer's 9-4. and four. <laughs> This is not some scrub bum throwaway. And stop acting like it's your money, which two-thirds of it you're keeping anyway. Don't get the rhetoric from New York. We'll talk more about that with uh, Mike Vaccaro here in just about two or three minutes. Any other moves you want to talk about here uh, as we wrap up and get ready for Mike? Um, well, I do the Pirates. Are, how about, I'm going to say that. How about the Dodgers? Sneaky little moves. Kiki Hernandez, they left to the Red Sox. They did in a trade. He's coming back, and he is one of those fan favorites. If you, unless you go to Dodger games like I have been to, so many of them, and the fans love him, and he's so you saw the little dance he came back and everything. <laughs> the players love him. The energy he brings, I think he totally fits in for the Dodgers. I think that was a great move for them to bring him back. Uh, they got Lancelot and Joe Kelly. Not so excited about those two, but I really like the fact that Kiki Hernandez is coming back to this team because you have Freeman and you have Mookie Betts all playing well. And I think if you bring someone like Kiki, who's thrived, and again, there are certain players that play well in certain cities. And I think sometimes we think that they're just going to play well everywhere. And you might hope that's the case. But it's not. A.J. Burnett was a better Pittsburgh Pirate than he was a New York Yankee. He was terrible as a Yankee. He was great as a Pirate. And I think that's what it is. And that's what we get back to the Robertson thing. David Robertson has played well, you know, for the Yankees. He's played well for the, you know, the, the Mets. Like, he clearly can thrive in New York. 
So you have a, why, why not keep someone who you know can play well in your city? Um, big mistake. But I do like that. I did like the Kiki Hernandez. Especially because they got back middling prospects for Robertson. At least with Scherzer, they got back uh, Luis Angel Acuna, Ronald Acuna's little brother. I don't think he'll be half the player Acuna is, but if he is half of Acuna, that's still a pretty decent player. You got something there. They got nothing from the Marlins. This was just getting rid of the closer to get rid of the closer. Again, I hear people saying, you know, in Cohen we trust. And I say, why? Is he some established baseball mind? Like, this isn't like saying, you know, Theo Epstein we trust. This is just saying because he's a multi-billionaire, I trust his decisions on a baseball field? Really bizarre stuff to me. Anything else you want to say before we get to Vaccaro? You know what you just said about Steve Cohn? I'm going to say this. I remember when Dan Snyder bought the uh, bought the Red, bought the Washington <laughs> football team, and he said, "I'm going to spend all this money. I'm going to do all these things, everything like that." And it, just because you're spending money doesn't mean you're going to spend it right. I mean, Jerry Jones originally. Now people, look, I, I think Jerry Jones has done a great job with the Cowboys, but still, people are just because you come in, you're going to spend money, you're going to do things. If you spend it wrong, Artie Marino did the same thing with the Angels. They've been terrible. So there's a point with Cohn is that you expect when you spend money you win but sometimes most more than likely you're not going to win so it is going to be the pressure and we'll see what happens let's go to mike vaccaro for the new york post it's iron sports it's time to bring in mike vaccaro sports columnist for the new york post you can find him on twitter at mike vacc mike thank you so much for joining us today and and i'll start off with this Uh, i'm a lifelong yankee fan but let's start with the mets because it seems like what everyone's talking about max scherzer shipped out of town going to the texas rangers all of my Mets fans' friends are kind of looking at this, Mike, like, he, he's such a bum, you know, we're lucky to have gotten rid of this guy. I look at the numbers, 11-5 and five with a two two nine ERA last year, this year 9-4 and four with a little worse 4 ERA, giving up a lot of long balls. But what's your take on this situation? Should they be thrilled Scherzer's out of town? I don't think you'd ever be thrilled when a Hall of Famer is no longer on your team, to be honest with you. I mean, look, uh, was he a little bit of a disappointment? Certainly was this year. And, uh, you know, he got kind of lit up in the playoffs last year, sort of faded down the stretch last year. I think, you know, it's certainly a fair question as to, uh, as to whether age is finally catching up with him or not. Uh, but, look, I, mean, I think the Mets uh, are, are definitely, if, if, if not, you're looking toward a full rebuild. They really are trying to avoid the term of rebuilding. But they certainly are looking for a, to, 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 to strengthen their farm system and kind of try and make, you know, the best of what they can from this year. And part of that is trying to, 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 to convert you know, players into, into prospects. And, you know, by, by, by doing this the, the, the way they did it with Scherzer, they, they're, they're able to get, you know, a, a kid that they want. And they're able to, you know, through some intricate financial wrangling and the fact that Steve Cohen is willing to pay down, uh, to, to, to pay off a portion of his, of his contract, they're able to get to where they think they're in a better place. Um, I, I, I've heard the same things you have about Max, which, you know, sad me because, he was very excited to be here. Most of those same Mets fans were very excited when he came here. We're very excited to see how he pitched for most of the of, of the regular season last year, and obviously things have kind of kind of gone a little sideways for him since. But uh, but uh, look, I mean, I, I think the Mets are doing what they think they have to do. Now, whether their fans agree with that or not, that's a whole different story. But uh, I would hope that sometime with a little bit of time and balance, they'll kind of appreciate the fact they're able to watch a Hall of Fame pitcher pitch. You know, still, he, 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 he threw some pretty good games as a Met. Uh, you know, they certainly didn't get him in his prime, but they got him in a chance. You know, they won 101 games. He was one of the main reasons why last year. And I hope they kind of remember that part of it. So with uh, Max Scherzer getting shipped out of town, you have to assume Justin Verlander is next. They've got to be trying to move him. Have you heard any rumors about them? Because I've heard nothing. Have you heard anything about who they might be shopping him to? Is there anyone interested in Justin Verlander's services? 
Well, you hear the Astros, but the Astros farm system is depleted. That's very unlikely that's going to happen. The Dodgers are always in play because of the Dodgers, because uh, because uh, you know, he almost signed there last year, and they have a farm system that's good, that that would probably be uh, be attracted to the Mets. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced. I mean, to me, if the, if, if the Mets uh, you know, trade uh, trade away Verlander, that's really a sign that they're going to be planning on competing next year. You know, because he's fully signed for next year and the vesting options for the year after that. So I'm, I'm not sure that Steve Cohen got into this to, 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 to be part of a rebuild. I mean, that's not to say that they wouldn't do it. And it's not to say that if, that, that if the Dodgers or whoever, like, uh, you know, meet their price. I mean, they did talk about how they have pretty high price points for for, for, for him. And, you know, you know the team's got to you're going to have to meet, meet those price points. But it'll be interesting to see what happens between now and tomorrow. And we can uh, shift to the Yankees quickly. So Aaron Judge comes back on Friday, plays two games, sits out yesterday. He's back in the lineup tonight. Is this something we should expect going forward, Judge sitting every third or fourth day, you know, coming off an injury? And at this point, does it even matter? <laughs> the Yankees, with Aaron Judge, do they have a shot to to not only make the playoffs but maybe win it all? Uh, I think their odds of winning it all are very remote. I think their odds of getting to the playoffs are okay, you know, because, I mean, there's still a lot of time left. They only have three and a half games to to, to, to make up in order to get to the playoff picture. Um, to me, I mean, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a crapshoot from that standpoint. But yes, I do think that you know certainly right now the Yankees are in a stretch. Where I think they're playing 13 games in a row. Uh, he's not going to play all 13 of those games. Um, he's probably going to sit for two or three of those games, which is probably the right thing to do. I know Yankee fans are going to howl and scream and be very angry about that because Judge is kind of the one. Uh, Kind of thing they have to to, to draft these hopes around uh, that plus whatever they might be able to do in the next uh, 36 hours or so at the trade deadline. Who knows? Uh, 20 minutes, 36 hours. It's, it's, it's much less than that now. But you know, so we'll see. But uh, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting for the Yankees right now because they have a lot of ground to catch up and they really haven't played a brand of baseball in quite a, quite a while this year. And it tells you they can do that. Crying and screaming is uh, what we do as as Yankee fans, Mike. Um, <laughs> it's what all fans do. It's what, you know, all fans, all fans expect uh, expect the best and kind of brace for the worst. And when the worst happens, that's when they start screaming more, right? Well, one of the things that's intriguing me as far as football goes is the difference in opinion of the Giants and Jets around the league. You know, around from fans, I should say. A lot of people have the Giants due to regress. They had a good season last year, made the playoffs, won a playoff game, and a lot of people think the Jets could win the Super Bowl. It's, it, it's crazy how, you know, the differences in opinions based off basically just Aaron Rodgers coming to town. What's your thoughts on the uh, Jets and Giants coming into the season? Should it be a, a doomsday scenario for Giants fans? And are the Jets really that good now? Um, I don't think it should be a doomsday scenario at all. I mean, I think the Giants might take a step back this year and they still might be able to make the playoffs. I don't think the NFC in general, the NFC specifically, is nearly as much a gauntlet as, as the Jets are facing in the AFC and the AFC East in particular. Um, look, I mean, there's a lot of expectations around the Jets. There should be. They, they they had the potential to be a lot better team than they were last year, and the one glaring uh, hole was they had a terrible play at the quarterback position all year long. Um, there, there, there was always the belief that if they had even adequate play at the quarterback position, they'd have been a playoff team, and they can take your chances. Obviously, they've uh, upgraded that position. We'll see what that means. You know, Aaron Rodgers is not the is uh, not a young man anymore, so we'll see what he can actually do once he. And once the games are played for real, but uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of, certainly a, a lot of hope around the Jets, but they have to you know in their own division they've got to worry about the Bills, the Dolphins, and you got the Chiefs and the Chargers lurking behind, and, and, and the Bengals lurking elsewhere in the conference. So uh, to me, I think the Giants could you know they might take a small step back, but they could still 
to me, win nine or ten games and put themselves in playoff position. I mean, I, I just uh, I don't think they're of the same quality as the Eagles in their own division, but I think there's everybody else that they could compete with, and I think they could definitely fight for, for, for a wild card versus in the NFC. So um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it is year two of what was supposed to be a long press for the Giants, and it's good they take the success last year. And I think that'll help them this year. I mean, I think they have to with the uh, they won almost all their important close games last year. It'll be interesting to see if they can repeat that again this year. As a Giants fan and Dayball, we trust. Uh, Ira, what do you have for Mike? Mike, I just I have to say I was completely wrong about the Mets. I said there is no way they're sellers. There's no way they're going to trade uh, this player like David Robertson. They're not trading Scherzer. They're going to go because by making these moves, you're almost as I said, make the moves for next year. It feels like that. I was, I'm just amazed that Steve Cohn does that. But as Mike just said, I, the Mets fans I talked to are like, they're happy they got rid of So I don't know what, where to read about this, but I, I just, for all the hoopla and then to trade everyone, I'm just, I'm in shock. Here's the thing, though. I mean, look, if, if, if you want to look on the positives and if you believe in the man who owns the Mets right now, you know, Steve Cohn is worth about 18 or $19 billion. And, you know, the, the, the way you acquire that much wealth in this life is by not is by not succumbing to emotions and by looking at you know, a lot of hard choices through very cool and cold-blooded uh, eyes, you know. Um, and, and if you, if you believe in, in that and you believe, and certainly that's the way he's lived his, his business life, he promised that he was going to use a lot of that acumen to, to run his baseball team, and that's kind of what he's doing now, making hard choices that he thinks are going to yield you know, future benefits. Now, Mets fans have to hope that he's, that he's right, and I think there's a lot of uh, there's not a lot of confidence right now in the guy he's got executing that, Billy Epler, the current general manager, and we'll see where that goes. I mean, you know, there were a lot of people who were, like, crying about the uh, the, the return they got for David Robertson, and, and the thing I laugh at is hey, nobody knows. You know, if you're going to tell me you've seen these two 19-year-old players and you have any idea what kind of a player they're going to be, well, maybe you should be in baseball and then you should be identifying them because, I mean, I don't think anybody knows. I mean, nobody knows. You know, I mean, there, there, there are certain rare talents you can probably project. You know, everybody knew Bryce Harper was going to be a pretty good player, right? when he was 18 years old. But that's a rare and definitely in baseball an outlier. So, you know, you take your shot. And to, to me, I have very little problem with the Mets did. I will have more of a problem if they do trade Verlander because, to me, that's the, you know, that signals that the 2024 is currently in jeopardy. I just don't think that when you're Steve Cohen operating the Mets, you can, you can operate that way. I think the only people who know about Vargas and Hernandez are people who stayed at the, at the Miami Marlins spring training games till like the end of the game when they're put into those games. And usually it's someone who goes to those games down here in Jupiter. There's not many people left at the end of a Miami Yeah, the folks, they're, they're, they're the folks who wander the backfields and see uh, and see games that uh, only, uh, only scouts and, and, and family are watching. Exactly. <laughs> so that um I guess the big thing, the other question, we, we had Jeff Fletcher from the Orange County Register, a great writer just like you, on two weeks ago talking about Otani. And, I mean, I'm someone who stays up late watching him. I just love it. I mean, I could imagine the Billy Epler connection, the one who brought Billy Epler, the Mets general manager, is the one who brought him to the, the Angels, who was fired, and then now he's now with the Mets. What do you think? I mean, what what are the, are the Mets' chances? Two percent, five percent, like what, what? What kind of percentage would you give that? I mean, look to me as, as long as Steve Cohen is the owner. I mean, you can't ever underestimate what he's willing to spend if he's in the mood to spend. Um, I, I don't think the odds are great because I mean, it seems to me he's a guy who wants to stay on the West Coast. That's the whole indication seems to be that way. And you know, if you, at least if you believe the recent buzz coming out of the Mets, they they, you know, they, they, they kind of want to slam the brakes on, you know, escalating toward like six and seven hundred million dollar payrolls, which is also understandable. Um, so I, I, I'd say the odds right now look probably you know five percent, maybe less. But uh, like I said, the wild card is that you just never know when Steve Cohen wakes up one morning and says, "You know what? I'm just going to spend a little of my uh, 
my hard-earned coin and see what it gets us. And that, that, that's, that's always a possibility when you get a guy like that who owns the team. You know, when we look at the, the trading deadline and teams, it's, there's so many ha- – there's more haves, per se, than have not. And there's like four teams in each league that are looking to trade players. And I think that comes back from last year with the Phillies that seemed to be at this time out of the playoff picture. And then they go to the World Series and, and the Washington Nationals a few years ago. When you're looking at the landscape of baseball now, what teams could really turn it on? Who are you looking at saying, wow, this team, it seemed like they struggled in April and May and June maybe, but they, they're a team that puts everything together, uh, I think, could make a run and go to the World Series. Uh, you know, I, I love what the Giants are doing right now. I mean, they, they look like, it looks it's looked like for two months that they're on the precipice of going sideways. It's never gone sideways for them. Um, I, I think the Blue Jays are certainly uh, – Seem to be that they, like they're in a go for it mood and mode now, and they've kind of been treading water a little bit uh, with the Orioles and Rays so dominant in that division. So I'd be I keep my eye on them. And uh, you know what? I mean, as long as Otani's on the Angels and if Trout ever comes back, I mean, look at some point you would think that uh, the talent's going to matter with those guys. Maybe they can get on a run, a Phillies-like run, and carry things to uh, to uh, to the extreme end of August. I think those are the teams I'm looking at, other than the ones that are you know the the, the no-brainers. The uh, you know the Braves are obviously and the Dodgers and. And uh, certainly, amazingly enough, you look at the Orioles, and it seems like they're definitely for real. So it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch those teams go also. And to turn, like Mike did, to football, because you're the expert. You cover, all, of course, all the sports in, in New York. And I thought your article on Barkley was tremendous about saying he almost like took one for the team in terms of eliminating distractions, taking the contract, all those things, and and getting and running it back. So talk a little about Saquon Barkley and, and where you see him going this year in the leadership role he has and how he's going to play. You think? I mean, look, I mean, he, he was all the way back last year. It took a couple of years for him to get back to where he was as a rookie. As a rookie, he looked like he was uh, you know, already bound for Canton. And obviously he got some injury problems. He got some, some hard times coming back from that injury. Last year he really looked uh, like a Saquon in his rookie year, even though if he wasn't as much of a, of a receiving target as he was that first year. Um, but uh, it's uh, you know to, to me that's exciting. And to me, if, if you're looking at it from a giant standpoint, you invested a whole lot of money in in your future in Daniel Jones, which I can understand. But the version of Daniel Jones you invested in is somebody from last year who had a pretty much of a breakout season. But that breakout season was as very was as much a product of being you know co-wingmen with him and, and, and Saquon, the way they worked with each other, worked off each other, and that's kind of what the, the version of Daniel Jones I think you were signing on for. And so to me, I think in order to get the full version of Daniel Jones, you also need the full version of Saquon because he provides so much of a – and look, I, I know that, that uh, the mantra in the, in the NFL now is that running backs don't matter, which they used to, and that drives me nuts. But, um, you know, it, it, to, to me, I mean, the success of Daniel Jones, uh, every bit was predicated on the success of Saquon Barkley returning to form last year. And, you know, if the Giants are going to do anything this year, I think that's going to be the formula this year as well. I just don't, and turning to the Jazz, I just don't remember a team that had that much excitement. I mean, it is it is Aaron Rodgers, the energy that it really, I mean, besides, you've, you've turned to Brady, it was Tampa. But it's a different, you know, Tampa was a different market than New York. I mean, Brady certainly turned the team around, people started going to the game. But this is just a different mindset. It, it really is, I, I, it's just amazing. And how he embraced it, I think, it's the key. You know, it's like, and I think that's the thing, too. I mean, game and every Ranger game and every you know, Taylor Swift concert and everything it seemed like he was doing, just, you know, OTAs. You know, people at Green Bay were like, we never saw Aaron Rodgers. Now he's, like, living in New York uh, full time. So, Yeah, and that's the thing I think that would be encouraging to you if you're a Jets fan. I mean, um, you know, he really has gone all in in, in the idea of you know, what it means to – 
to be a New York football player, what it means to be a New York athlete, what it means to be a New York star and celebrity. And he has embraced all of that. I mean, I think he's already learned to enjoy the perks of what that means. Uh, he doesn't have to spend one minute on the other side of life's velvet rope in New York. And most of the time he's in New York, probably behind. Um, he's embraced all of that. And, but, but he's also embraced the part of football, you know, to be a football player. You know, I thought it was, I thought it was telling that the first guy who stepped up uh, when Sean Payton made his uh, interesting comments the other day, the first person to, to step up and say, hey, you know, to, 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 to talk about, you know, and defend his coach was, was, was Aaron Rodgers. I thought, that was a, I thought that was a very important thing for him to do, and I think a lot of the other players kind of saw what he did because, you know, sort of fell in behind that. And, uh, you know, I thought that was a good sign. And, you know, and just, just, just having him on the practice field every day, I mean, I know people who go there every day and you know, they have fans who go every day. And, I mean, just watching a guy of that level do what he does just in practice, I mean, and you can translate that to what it's going to be during the games. Now, does that mean they're going to go, you know, 14 and three? Of course not. Um, There's a long way between here and the playoffs. But uh, you certainly have to like it because the Jets improved in so many other aspects last year. Uh, Their defense was terrific. Their running game was really coming together until Brees Hall went down. And, 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 uh, you know, they they were still competitive until, you know, just the lack of a quarterback caught up to them. And so all that together is the reason why it's exciting. I don't know if – you know, I, I certainly don't have the, the gumption to, 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 to predict them to go to the Super Bowl. Not that conference that's already got the Bengals and the Chiefs and the Bills and the Chargers and so forth. But uh, I'd love to see them get to the playoffs, take you know, take a whack at one of those teams in the first round and see where you go from there. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's definitely definitely super exciting. But, Mike, I thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. I greatly appreciate it. I know you have some uh, health problems. You, you're bouncing back. Your writing style is great as always. And, and always some insight. I, I encourage anyone, you know, go on nypost.com, read, read my stories, and uh, certainly follow you on, uh, on your Twitter and, and your comments on that. So thank you so much. I know on a certain notice coming on and talking about the trade deadline and talking about the Giants and Jets. I appreciate it a lot. Hey, it's great talking to you guys always. Take care. Mike Vaccaro here on Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, let's switch gears to the NFL. And something kind of bizarre happened with the Colts and Jim Ayersay and Jonathan Taylor. It, there was a, a, a talk amongst running backs like a week ago. They got on a Zoom call and it leaked that they said, maybe we should fake injuries. And then what happens? Jonathan Taylor comes into training camp with an injury, a pre-existing one. And Jim Ayersay is like, well, I don't have to pay you then. So I could put you on the pup list and just not pay you. Kind of weird what's happening with running backs and with that Colts team. Yeah, I mean, there's, I've been re- I love reading these stories about Jonathan Taylor, who went to University of Wisconsin, one of his favorite college running backs I've ever watched. Uh, also highly intelligent. Could get got into like Harvard, Princeton, Yale, and everything. And his agent said, let's change attack. And, and really, this, he's a, the agent that's working with him is, I think, sort of making the wrong decisions, the wrong calls on this, and uh, getting a lot of criticism. But, wow, I mean, the Colts have seemed to have been a, a huge problem. I mean, they, this is a team that a couple years ago, I mean, you had the Andrew Luck where they were, you know, they, all the years of Manning, that was great. Then you had the Andrew Luck years. And then you have uh, uh, just this recently where you thought they were going to turn around. They're trying to get Philip Rivers, the quarterback. But it looks like they're on the precipice of a disaster, really, if they can't keep Taylor and whatever. And they could definitely be a 3-4 win team next year. It's funny because Jim Irsay did come out and say, I'm not giving a running back a second contract. And apparently there's been no trade talk or no extension talks at all with Jonathan Taylor, who was the best running back in the league just a year ago. So kind of crazy what's happening there. You want to talk a little NFL over-unders here? Because there's some that I have highlighted that I think, some teams I think are just way too high on wins. 
give me give me some of yours and I'll and I'll come back to them. But yeah, I the over I'm this is a good time to talk about NFL over unders in terms of where we think teams are gonna have and what they're gonna do. So go ahead. The Lions are at nine and a half. I'm taking the under on that. I know everyone's sexy pick is the Lions to win the NFC North. I, I still think it goes through the Vikings. I, I that defense was terrible last year. And I just don't see the, the, the great improvements there. So I would go under on them. I go under on the Browns, too. Why are we saying the Browns are going to be some really good team all of a sudden? Division is stacked. And I'm not convinced Deshaun Watson has it anymore. I know he took a year off, but he looked terrible last year. So to just vault them up to, to 10 wins, not going to do it for me. Falcons, eight and a half wins. Seriously? What, what, what have the Falcons done? Besides draft a running back in the first round. Like, the Falcons, to me, this is a four-win team. I don't know where nine, uh, a nine wins comes from for them. Bears are in the same boat. Bears are at seven and a half, Ira. Justin Fields is five and 25 in his career. Where, where and they, are won these, wins, and they, they won three wins last year. So yeah, that's a team that won yeah, three wins last year, and now they're projected to win seven and a half this year. Yeah, that, that's one I just don't see coming. And unfortunately, we kind of talked about it with Mike Vaccaro. I don't know if the Giants are going to get to eight wins. They're at seven and a half. That worries me a little bit as a, as a pessimistic Giants fan. What are you thinking? Well, I tell you, you, you hit on something, the Vikings. So that last year— the I like the Vikings over. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and the Vikings won 13 games last year. Their over-under is 8.5. Now, this is a team that won 13 that I think, you know, the Jordan Addison that they picked up, I think they made improvements. You have Cousins and, and Jefferson. Again, you have made some improvements on defense, too. I, how are they going from 13 to 8.5? I mean, this is just like, this is just, we don't respect Kirk Cousins. We don't think he knows what he's doing. There's no way that they're 8.5. I think it's totally ridiculous. And, and the Vikings are a team that can easily win 13 or 14 games again this year. And, and, and so, you know, they have Dalvin Cook. Even playing people that those Madison, as we all know in fantasy, was a better running back than David Cook was. So I think that's why I think the Vikings huge over over eight and a half. I like the overs that I like are like the Chiefs and Eagles. Like they're eleven and a half, and that's their over under. They both won fourteen last year. I think they go back and win thirteen, fourteen. Like I think I don't I don't see I don't see any slippage on those two teams. Why I would think they're going to go back to eleven and a half now? If you're nervous about Joe Burrow with his injury at 11 and a half, maybe that would be concerned with because they only went 12 last year. But I'll tell you what, the 49ers are 10 and a half. Uh, last year they were phenomenal, and now they have Purdy, and now they got backups in San Darnell. I absolutely love the 49ers way over 10 and a half. I mean, I think they're 14, you know, that's a 14 win team also there. Um, so I, those, that's a team I, I really, those are some of the, I really like. Um, I can't, the Steelers are at nine. I, not see that I, <laughs> I, I, I'm just nervous about that but we'll you know we'll we'll go from there I think the Pats I think I Pats is seven and a half I really I, I Patriots I I know their division is hard everything about it but I can't see them having another bad year like I just I've just been I maybe a Steelers fan I've been so haunted by Bill Belichick over these years I just cannot see him winning like seven games I just can't it just I cannot see it um Commanders, Washington Commanders are six and a half. I love Sam Howell, their quarterback. I played in North Carolina. I think last year he was it was just you know, it was injured. Come back, this is gonna be his year. Uh, he was great his first couple years in North Carolina. He was you know going to be the best quarterback, number one pick in the draft. Then he got hurt his senior year. Played. Um, I am such a big fan of Sam Howell. I like the Commanders. I think there is some energy of the fact that they have Josh Harris as the owner and not Daniel Snyder. So I like that at six and a half. And I like the Bucks under. Six and a half. I think that Tampa. I think Tom Brady. I think we're un, you know we're probably underestimating as we can 
say that, actually, the impact that Tom Brady had on this team. I think the, everything's going to fall off the bus for this team, and I think they're going to be way under six and a half. They'll be lucky to win three or four games. I'm with you completely on the Bucks. One thing I'll mention, in the same vein as what you, you know, the, the case that you made for the, um, for the Vikings, and I totally agree with you, the Tennessee Titans are seven and a half. Why are we so down on the Titans? They lost seven games in a row last year, but they were starting guys like Malik Willis, you know, when Ryan Tannehill was hurt. When Ryan Tannehill plays, this team wins games. There's no way around that. This is usually an 11-win team. Why are they at seven and a half? With Ryan Tannehill in a contract year, Derrick Henry should be should be healthy. They drafted a, a nice backup for Henry, so he doesn't have to run the ball all the time. I know they're not the most talented team all around, but the AFC sounds bad, and they always beat up on them. I don't think it's the Jaguars' division yet. I still think that the, that things go through the Titans. I like Mike Vrabel, so I'm taking over on the Titans. Another one that's a little curious to me is the Texans, Ira. Six and a half wins? So you think the Texans are going to win seven games with C.J. Stroud? I like C.J. Stroud. I think he's going to be And they won three last year. Yeah, they won three. The thing is, you look at last year. What have they done? They won three last year. What are they going to do to get the seven? That's doubling the total, really. They they lost their best player in Brandon Cooks, best offensive player. They bring in a defensive coach. I like D'Amico Ryans. I think he's going to do well. But is he going to hit the ground running with with a rookie quarterback this to me again. This is a three or four win team. I, I don't know why you jump to seven wins by bringing in a rookie quarterback. It's just these things usually don't click that fast. So that that one's a, a little bit of a head scratcher for me as well. Raiders under two. Raiders are at seven. Raiders are going to win seven games. I mean, I it's not even a uh, you know this isn't hating on Jimmy Garoppolo. There's not much on this team. The offensive line is bad. The defense is bad. Josh McDaniels might be the first coach fired. I just re- I'm not buying into the fact that they're good. I have a feeling Devontae is going to push his way out by midseason, and, and I think it's going to be a dumpster fire for McDaniel again. Yeah, and I think we, we, we have to be remiss if we not. The two teams I had trouble with is the Finns at nine and a half. Miami, I mean, they where you know they want they you know they won nine last year. Like, what are they? I mean, it really is. Is Tua going to stay healthy? If Tua stays healthy, yeah, sure, they're over nine and a half. But you're really just betting if Tua is going to stay healthy, and the Jaguars also. Also nine and a half, the same thing. And, and but I like them. I, I, if you would tell me who I think a more a safer bet would be Jacksonville. I think with Lawrence back another year, uh, I love Calvin Ridley as their new wide receiver. That people are going to see how great he is. So uh, Travis and Dan's healthy now after you know, coming back again after last year. So I re- there's a lot I like about Jacksonville and Peterson is a you know, great coach. You, you see in that second year that a really good coach that when when the big changes happen. So uh, this will be his second year. So I like Jacksonville over nine but i i don't know where miami's gonna go at nine and a half i don't know if it's there if Tua gets hurt there are seven you know eight wins or six wins and if he stays healthy they're 12 13 so the standard deviation can be very high i totally agree that's just one i just wouldn't bet because I, i'm not betting on injuries you know happening or not happening wouldn't touch it one thing that, I, that I'll, I'll comment on that obviously didn't get mentioned really in the media the giants picked up James Robinson. Remember him? He was ridiculously productive for fantasy purposes on the Jaguars two years ago. Guy was great. They draft Travis Etienne, basically kick him off the team. He's bounced. Like, when is he just like a locker room cancer? I don't get why nobody's wanted this guy. He was fantastic when, when he was a, a, a number one running back. Giants brought him in as like Saquon Buffer in case something happened with him. But I'm not going to be shocked if he's productive when he gets the ball. 
Right. Anybody who knows fantasy knows he came in. He was what, an undrafted player and, and played great for, for Jacksonville. So, no, I like him a lot. I think he's going to – I think that's that, – some of these – you know, it's one thing, these players that get picked and, and sort of their backup after backup. Like Pacheco last year, when we're talking – I mean, if we were talking about the Super Bowl, I just was uh, – I went for a run in the gym, and they I watched the entire – they did one of those Super Bowl in like an hour and a half or whatever, and they I watched the entire Chiefs. Uh, Eagle Super Bowl, and you see the the difference Pacheco made. Well, before the year started, he, you know he was he was like the fourth string running back yeah. for the Chiefs. Like no one was picking him, and someone might have picked him like the last pick as a flyaway, and then to think that he's going to be the starting and key. Not and you watch the Super Bowl, and you realize what a perform what a key performance Pacheco had for the Chiefs in terms of the time. I still you know watching the Super Bowl, I cannot believe when when Mahomes got hurt in that first half. I thought, you know, I was there and I watched it after the game, but then you watch it on, you're know, like, how are they ever going to win this game? Mahomes looked like he was so injured. Like, this is, and you're like, wow, you just close your eyes as the Eagles were Super Bowl champions because he really looked on that one play at the end of the first half extremely injured. Let's move on to our college football here. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. I would catch us up on where we are as far as conferences go because I'm I'm always lost this this time of year anyway but now with you know teams moving around from from this year to next year it's kind of becoming a jumbled mess at least for me well I have I'm telling you I'm going to pat myself on the back on my predictions people say well I'm wrong on some things but on this one I am 100% I said the Pac-12 is done and I, we saw when, with the moment, I said it before USC and UCLA left. Now, they're in the Big Ten starting for next year. But it was just announced this week that Colorado, you're like, Colorado, they won one game last year. But they have Coach Prime, as they say, and <laughs> Deion Sanders as their coach. Uh, and there's a lot of excitement there. And they were in the Big 12. So they were in the, they were in the conference with the Oklahomas and the Texas, which now are the SEC. But they were in that conference. And now they have announced they're going back to the Big 12. Brent Yormack is the, is the commissioner of the Big 12. They just signed a new TV deal. I, your Mac, you might remember his brother runs Rock Nation. He was the one who ran uh, Barclays, was actually responsible for building the Barclays Center, bringing the Nets. He's a brilliant, very smart man, and that's why I like what the Big 12 was doing. I think the Pac-12 is a mess, and Colorado sensed this, and then they're going to the Big 12, and they're lucky. You talk about saying, oh, I have to pay this money to get out and this money. Their TV deal isn't in place, so they can actually go. They're going to play this year, of course, in football, but then the following year, they'll have no buyouts or no nothing. And the big rumors this week, I keep hearing amazing rumors that you can't imagine uh, for the Big Ten, is that well, who are the Big Ten going to take? Are they going to take Oregon? Are they going to take Washington? Is Notre Dame going to make an announcement? And then you hear this rumor that it's going to be, how about Clemson and Florida State to the Big Ten? I mean, this is legitimate coming from fairly good sources saying Clemson and Florida State to the Big Ten, and it's going to be this week or next week announcement. So there's some big things. That's why I wanted to mention about this because uh, I wanted to, and, and all I just need to give you some numbers so you should no, the Big Ten that are going to pay each of the teams eighty to hundred million dollars. The SEC pays them seventy to eighty million dollars. So they're around the eighty million to ninety million dollar range. Those two conferences. The ACC is at thirty-one. Now, if you're Florida State and 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 Clemson, and you're getting thirty-one, and the Big Ten schools are getting eighty, that's a big difference, and that's something that they want to go to. The Big Twelve is at thirty-two, but there's a way to even go more. But uh, the Pac-12 still hasn't done a TV deal. And then this year, what we should look forward to is like Houston. Cincinnati, BYU, and Central Florida all going starting the Big 12. The big next year is the big year. The USC, UCLA going to the Big 10, and Texas and Oklahoma going to SEC. That doesn't start till next year. But you're going to see, I, I'm, people are telling me we're going to see realignment, but I, I, I think 
by the time we have our show next year, there will be no more Pac-12. It's done. Like the Pac-12 was USC and UCLA. That really was the Pac-12. I think with that, with both those schools out, and there's no LA market. Um, I think that's finished. And I think I'm just waiting for the team, some of the teams like Arizona and Arizona State and Utah to go to the Big 12, and uh, Oregon and Washington going to the Big 10. Any uh, games you have circled on your calendar yet? The first week is not as good as last year, but there's a called a week zero. There's a, which is in August, like it would be August 30, uh, 31st is Navy at Notre Dame in Ireland. So you want to get to see Notre Dame a little bit in Ireland. That'd be an exciting type of game on Thursday night, August 31st, Florida at Utah should be huge. I mean, I saw it just like Utah in the Rose Bowl against Penn State. They bring a lot of people back. That team's great. This is going to be a big test for Florida and Utah. This is going to be a good game. This is going to be a great game to watch. Uh, Saturday, September 2nd, North Carolina at uh, at South Carolina. Uh, quarterback for North Carolina is May. He's really, really good. And Rattler is the quarterback for South Carolina. It's going to be a great atmosphere. That'll be good. I'll be at Penn, West Virginia at Penn State. They have they was one of the best rivalries in all of sports, considering they're only a few hours away from each other, and they haven't played in like thirty years. And I, and so now West Virginia, Penn State, West Virginia is bad this year. So, but it's from the fan perspective, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be at night, and it's actually going to be on NBC. You're going to see a Big Ten game on NBC at night because that's where they're going to go to. So that's exciting. And then that Sunday will be LSU and Florida State. So that should be good. All right, well, let's talk a little boxing and MMA. You were really excited for this weekend. How did uh, did it live up to your expectations? Well, two things happened. First of all, I, I am so mad. Let's, let's, go, I, let's go to the UFC fight first. So I was happy about the UFC fight because I was out at a place called Sunset Beach. It's like this party atmosphere in the Hamptons right on Shelter Island. It's beautiful. I mean, people have their sparklers when they announce their birthday. It's windy. It's crazy. It is really the coolest thing. And I, ha- I, got, and I could not believe I got the UFC fight on my phone and watched the entire ball, two fights on my phone. I'm the only person there watching everything in the midst of all this, whatever, with, the, with some champagne and everything. But it was outside, cool. I mean, the, beach, the ocean is there, or the beach, the coast, sound, or whatever they call it so it was so much fun to watch that um and i then ordered the uh uh terrence crawford errol spence fight the great boxing match but they it went on the same time but and i ordered and i said you know what? i'm not going to check no one at this place is going to tell me who won i'm just going to go drive back i'll watch the fight and then i'll be happy about it and I, I they did when I got back to the house they could it would not load it would they you could you would even you had to watch it live or you don't have a chance to watch an encore performance which is ridiculous because that's what they do for USC like I thought I paid seventy bucks for a fight I should be able to watch it you know whenever I want in the next twenty four hours I was so mad about that and so I didn't get to see the fight I had to watch a replay of it. But uh, first, let's go to the UFC fight. Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier, the second and third ranked lightweights. Uh, in, uh, in 2018, Poirier beat Gaethje by a knockout in the fourth round. Um, since then, Dustin Poirier has beat Conor McGregor twice, Michael Chandler. Uh, he's only lost to Khabib and Oliveri. And Gaethje beat Chandler, too, and only lost to Oliveri and Khabib at the same time. And they, this is, their styles are great. Um, I watched, it was, this was, I was pumped for this fight. It's got a, it was in Salt Lake City. Everyone was really enthusiastic. It's a very even. They're both great. First round, back and forth, could have gone either way. Great first round. Each other for, for, first round, in the first round. Mm. And then um, in the second round, that kick was just unbelievable where Poirier was standing there and Gaethje was just a right 
kick to the temple uh, and knocked him out. One one kick knocked him out cold, and Poirier then you know went on and was over. So it was a huge win for Poirier in terms of now sets him up for a t- title fight and everything. It was great to see when you have two of these great performers in there, and to have that knockout in the second round was pretty amazing. Yeah, I thought you could see both fighters are pretty evenly matched in that first round. And you're looking at it like, man, that was an intense round. Like, I can't wait for this fight to go. And then out of nowhere, <laughs> you know, and that's that's how it goes in the UFC. All it takes is one punch, one kick, and it can end it. But that, that was still a good well, fight. Yeah, you know, Gaethje was known as a brawler. And I was watching, you watch those things on ESPN where they had, like, you know, take him back to where they're, he's from Colorado where he's training, and Poirier was training, actually, I think, at Boca. But they were going back to their, with their training camps, and Gaethje said, he goes, I am going to, I don't, I'm not going to be a brawler anymore. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't work. And, and, and sometimes you don't believe him. It's like when you get in the fight, you can say you can practice a million different things. But remember, remember Rocky three when he played against Clever Lang and, and Mr. T, and he had to change and he couldn't be the brawler anymore. And he had to be, you know, move and everything. And that's sort of what Gaethje said he was going to be like that. And he did. He said he had never thrown a kick like that ever in all his career. And he throws that kick. And Poirier never saw it even coming. It didn't even see it coming. He knocked him out. And I think that that's great when it's when you can change so much when you're so established as a fighter and you make such a radical change. And uh, uh, but that was a I, I, that was a great match. But then and then of course then we'll talk about the boxing. Yeah, what happened with uh, Crawford versus Spence? Well, this one, both of these were pound for pound. Uh, uh, Spence had three of the titles. Crawford had the other title, Walter Wade. Crawford was the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter. Uh, Spence was number four uh, pound-for-pound fighter. So these are two. They're one is 35, one is 33. They have never fought because they were under different promoters. Um, they had both fought you know, the similar fighters that they fought and they beat. I like thought Crawford was going to win because I like when he fought Porter or Sean Porter. I thought he was a better fighter in that dominated Porter where Spence had trouble with Porter. But this was... I mean, you talk about something that was, that was almost an even dead money betting fight. Uh, and, and Crawford, the first round, Spence won, but it really nothing happened. After that, he knocked down Crawford, knocked down Spence in the second round, and then dominated three, four, five, and six. And then in the seventh round, knocked him out two more times. And the eighth, you know, knocked him down. And then in the ninth, and the ninth, eighth dominated the ninth. They just knocked him out. They just called stop the fight. But he won, like, whatever, say, eight, 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 won the, the completely domination that Crawford, Darren Crawford. And this, this, this definitely cements Crawford. Now, uh, Alvarez is someone that you would think that might be, you know, one of the pound for pound. But this, but this win was tremendous. This is to go against an undefeated uh, competitor uh, that was ranked so highly and just dominate them. And they're saying there's a rematch. Spence has a rematch clause in, but it just cements Crawford as being the best fighter uh, on the planet right now. Ira on sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo here as well. Get us caught up on some racing, Ira. Yeah, well, that it's just say Max for Stafford. I keep wanting to see him, you know, think he's going to lose, but he starts sixth on the grid because there was a, he changed his engine. So he starts sixth and he ends up winning by 22 seconds over his teammate Sergio Perez. Uh, Leclerc from Ferrari was third and, and Lewis Hamilton was fourth. And there was, there's some issue whether he should be bounced back for a, a penalty. But now it's been out of 12 races. He's won 10 of them. He's won eight in a row. The record is nine. Um, and only thing that was close was in lap 21. It was raining. He almost slipped. His car got a little loose, but he's able to hold on. And he's now 125 points. And in the most like over Verstappen and Perez uh, with, uh, with uh, nine or 10 races left, 
and it's almost impossible to think he was going to lose the title. I mean, he literally can clinch it with about six or seven left if he keeps going at this pace. Um, they take like a month off, and they go. They have the Dutch Grand Prix August 27th, and then Monza in Italy the next week, and then they're in Austin, Texas, October 22nd, and then Vegas which will be huge at like 1 in the morning East Coast time, 10 in the morning Vegas time on November 19th. And what about NASCAR? Um, Chris Buescher won at, at uh, Richmond. And the only thing to say about this is that, wow, NASCAR fans have turned on that. Denny Hamlin was a very popular driver, but in the last race he ran uh, uh, Kyle Larson off the track a little bit. And you, know, you would think that's like, you know, Tyler and Nice, it's all fair. You know, they, they used to like that, you know, that type of racing. But they didn't think it was fair. The fans, now, Hamlin's from Richmond, and they booed him during the race everywhere, which I thought was really surprising. But the Busher wanted to get in NASCAR. If you win a race, then you get into the uh, playoffs. So that guarantees him into the playoffs. Let's uh, talk a little golf here. 3M was over the weekend, and they were beating up this course. I a lot of uh, players going really low. Someone who didn't know is Justin Thomas, and he's in a you know he's in a fight to make it into the uh, into the playoff. He's in a fight to make the Ryder Cup team. Once again, misses a cut, but congratulations to Lee Hodges. Uh, Lee Hodges wins. He's a 24 under par. Um, Keith Mitchell, who's been on our show, was in fifth place. Tony's getting out seventh. But, boy, you know, you looked at the British Open, and you saw Cam Young and Seth Straka, who were up in the leaderboard almost for the whole weekend. And they both missed a cut on an event that is a very weak event. Just shows you the motivation sometimes these golfers have in these events. And But Justin Thomas, that's the story. I mean, he feels like it's unbelievable how a player who was clearly one of the top two, three, four players in the world year after year after year. And he's young. You know, it still has struggled so much and has totally lost his game. And uh, I don't know how you would consider putting him in the Ryder Cup with his performance. I, I, I can't even think they're still saying, well, if he does this, he does this. I, 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 he is playing as poorly as you can think of a star player playing at this moment that he can't even make the cut at the 3M Open. If he doesn't make the cut at Wyndham and he doesn't even do better, then he's going to be out of the FedEx playoffs. So, that, I mean, because after Wyndham, there's only FedEx, St. Jude, BMW, and the Tour Championships. I mean, his season will be over. So, he, this week will be, he's really definitely playing to, to keep playing. And, but I don't see how, unless he turns it around in the next three weeks, he's not playing. There's no way they're going to put him on the Ryder Cup team. I don't care what, you know, he's popular, he's great, but this his performance has been terrible. He's missing the, he, it's not one thing to miss the cut at the Open Championship. It's another thing to miss the cut at the three and open when most of these golfers are not you know top 200 to 300 in the world what's going on with uh, our buddy jay monahan i i'm telling you people keep asking me all the time like what's going on with liz and pj and no one knows and the golfers don't know and that's crazy he's been back for like two weeks and people are looking to see what i have never seen a deal announced that there's nothing again i make this joke it's like you go and tell your wife you're gonna go we bought a car what car is it not sure how much are you paying for it I'm not sure. Whoa. I mean, there's like, this is crazy. Like they don't have any assurances of anything. So I think it's just absolutely hilarious that they don't know. And then he wrote a big memo in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m. about golf balls, about how they want to keep the golf balls the same. It's like, I know that's an important topic, but I think the golfers want to know more about big golf balls. Like they want to know what is going on with the tour and what's happening and who's whatever. And they cannot flesh this out to make an announcement and have nothing in paper and nothing. This is, I've never seen anything like this, and it's it's one of the worst leadership. I mean, it's like a it's like a case study on how not to be a leader from Jay Monahan. But we'll see what happens next week. But eventually, I mean, I, maybe he's just hoping the season ends and the people start ask, stop asking questions or something. 
Ira, I love World Cup soccer, and maybe more than the, the U.S. men. I love the U.S. women's team. Been following intently since Mia Hamm. Got to tell you, I'm a little worried about, about the U.S. women's national team. Obviously, they beat Vietnam, drew against the Netherlands in a game that they just didn't look like the same team as the Netherlands. The Netherlands obviously were the second-place team in the last World Cup, but I'm a little worried about the women at this point. Yeah, the Netherlands went into halftime with a single-goal lead 1-0. That was the first six time the U.S. has trailed at the half in 52 World Cup matches, the first time uh, since trailing Sweden in 2011. Um, and then Lindsay Horan was knocked down by Daniel Von Donk, who they're teammates, and she got up and scored a goal, motivated her. But then, even though U.S. scored on offsides, they took that back. But that whole second half was crazy. And, and I think that some of it is with Smith, uh, their great uh, player that they have, they, it, she, they just give – it's too much one-on-one. It seems like they're not doing the passing. They're just saying Robin on one side, Smith on the other, just like make a move. And these teams are then just not letting them get through. It, it, it is very – it's there, and then there's a lot of complaining. Megan Rapino, who they brought in for leadership, and then they don't put her in the game, and that's an issue. So they're playing three – Unfortunately, they play 3 a.m. tonight against Portugal. So I, I'm sure I'll call you and wake you up at 3 a.m. to watch the Portugal match. They lose that, it might, their World Cup might be over. So um, this is their, they left in a situation where this is uh, the Netherlands. I think, look, Netherlands is, is a very good team. They, it's a rematch of the 2019 World Cup final, which USA won. But still, they didn't really look good against Vietnam. They don't look good against Netherlands. Uh, this is a lot of questions about this team. Alex Morgan is, is the face of the team, supposed to be, the, you know, she's the striker, supposed to be scoring goals. Outside of a nice pass for, in the Vietnam game, she's been non-existent, besides missing a penalty kick. I mean, she's got to do more. This team's missing the Abby Wambach. You know, the person who you could count on, put the ball on Abby Wambach's foot up front, she's going to score. She retired. It's supposed to be Alex Morgan moving in, and hasn't done much yet. going to need to see a lot, uh, lot out of yeah, her in I Portugal. The question also is that the USA team, it's always to me, was with the bigger team, the bigger players, the taller players when they're headers and stuff like they seem to be dominating. Whether the rest of the world has got just larger, you know, they're, they're, they've got bigger or America has other players. But we just don't, we don't seem physically imposing on the field. Every time there's a ball in the center, it's like they're getting pushed around. So I think that, uh, yeah, this, will, this, this Portugal game, but you're right, missing an Abby Wambach and, and a lot of the players like, like Alex Morgan, she was a secondary player. It's a lot harder to, you know, it's a lot easier to be a secondary player than step up and be to being the person that everybody's counting on to, to to lead the victory let's wrap it up with south florida's new favorite athlete what's going on with leo messi well they play against orlando on wednesday night and it's like everyone that's what everyone's talking about boy talk about a signing in a league uh tremendous i can't wait i gotta I, i'm not gonna miss this one but i think at the end of august i'll definitely get to see him in, in a match and anyone who said that you know he's old and this is that and you know he's doing it to scoring goal after goal and we you had that question could one person make a difference and, and he certainly <laughs> is on this team and how they play and uh it's great and it's great that's in south florida and it's it's awesome with that what's your plans this week um, not sure yet. I did want to add one thing we just missed, but I just saw off. How about this? I saw Oppenheimer last night. And if anyone loved that, but they, they're not, they want to see a sports site movie, watch The Catcher with a Spy. And this is a movie review here. Paul Rudd, Rudd played Mo Berg and Sienna Miller and Paul Giamatti are in it. But Mo Berg was a baseball player, a catcher for 14 years. And he then became a spy. And because he spoke so many languages and he was in Japan on a tour for baseball and was able to take pictures. And in his role, what do you say was this Oppenheimer? His goal was the guy, like the Oppenheimer in Germany was Walter Warner Heisenberg. And his job was to go see Heisenberg. And if they thought that Germany was going to have the nuclear weapon, was to kill Heisenberg. So, and it's also, it, it interlaces baseball. And when he brought back 
Barry, who you see in the Oppenheimer movie, Franklin Roosevelt said, said Moberg is still catching well, or he's a better catcher as a fly than he was as a, as a baseball player. So I thought that was cool. But if anyone's wants that baseball, you see Oppenheimer, you like the movie, you want the baseball thing, go, go rent a catcher was a spy, which I think did like $1 million, whereas Oppenheimer's done like $300 million. <laughs> Thanks so much to Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.